Good day, ladies and gentlemen. I'm the editor-in-chief of Housing Wire, Jacob Gaffney. And for the past decade or so, as I've been in this media uh, mortgage finance space, there are two individuals that have come up time and time again, and they are recently both uh, recently retired. So they've come on to have a podcast here with Housing Wire, going to be a feature of our magazine. And I am joined by the EVP of Home Lending at Wells Fargo, Brad Blackwell, and David Stevens, the president and CEO of Mortgage Bankers Association. Brad, David, how are you guys doing today? Doing great. Good Thanks for having us. So how long have you two known each other in the mortgage finance industry? <laughs> and is that how you met? Well, okay. So Dave, we'll have to figure out how we play this out. But, um, <laughs> but we've, we've known each other since roughly 1980 or 81, right in there. Wow. Um, and we were, we were in college. We were both running for student body president against one another. Huh. And, uh, and, and we met handing out flyers in front of the uh, student union building. And the, the funny thing was, even though we were on opposite sides, um, uh, we struck up an immediate friendship. And the way it manifested itself was that we decided to have a competition to see who could get the most number of girls to take our flyer over the course of the hour we were standing. <laughs> That's right. I was going to ask who won the uh, student union presidency, but I actually want to know who won that contest instead. <laughs> who, who got the most girls? <laughs> you know, I, don't I don't know, know Dave. Did you? <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> but it is, it is funny because uh, – you know, for both of us, back in the day, and I think this is right, Brad, the, the University of Colorado uh, uh, president of the, of the student government ran the largest uh, budget of any uh, university student body in America or something like that. And so it was, yeah, yeah. It, was, it, it, was, it was an interesting high stakes game with a lot of tension and almost different political factions like you mm -hmm. see in, in national politics today where there are conservatives and liberals. And it was, it was really interesting. Yeah, and, and the funny thing was that um, Dave really was only running as a write-in candidate, and he was effectively the Ralph Nader to my um, uh, to, to my uh, uh, Al Gore. So it was yeah, it was something's a... never changed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember but that yeah, election. So we, uh, <laughs> so we we ended up get, you know we ended up um, becoming you know good friends in college, and after. We both graduated. Uh, we connected to as roommates. We were both looking for. Uh, we were both broke and starting our careers and looking for a place to live, and um, ended up being roommates together. And uh, if you know the fast forward version is Brad um, was working for a savings and loan at the time called Majestic Savings, which ended up getting acquired by Golden West Financial, which became World Savings, and. Uh, he was already working there on the bank side, but he joined the loan, the mortgage department. I was working for a Ralph Nader organization, essentially, um, and and uh, I was poor as you can imagine. And Brad called me. We one were day both poor, said, by the way. We were, yeah, both, we were both poor. poor. <laughs> yeah, we have great stories about that. Uh, but Brad was doing really well and enjoying his job, and he called me and he said, "You know, you could make I forgot what the number is thirty thousand dollars a year or whatever fortune was oh. back in the early '80s." <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, Dave, Dave, Dave's mouth dropped. And I, when I said $30,000, which to us yeah. might as well have been $10 million because we were <laughs> yeah. making nothing at the time. Yeah. And, uh, and so Dave joined, we, we both, you know, what, what's actually poetic about the whole um, uh, history of our career is we started in the mortgage business on a, almost exactly the same day. And we finished in the mortgage business almost exactly on the same day. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But it's really, but Brad, it's really your fault that we have David these days up, up there because <laughs> you're the one who dragged him into the industry. So, That's yeah. a good point, yeah. actually. Yeah. Yeah. So, people, um, people still hold that against me, Jacob. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, as, you, and as you know, Jacob, and you know, I, I, I constantly restate this in audiences of mortgage people, there aren't a whole lot of people in our business who went through high school and college and said, I'm going to be a loan rep, you know, mm-hmm. or a loan officer. For many of us, it's a career we fall, we fall into. And uh, for Brad and I, we came in at a very interesting time because the savings and loan crisis had just happened. And, you know, our, we, were, we, had, we only offered an adjustable rate mortgage at that time because all the banks had gone under by offering fixed rate mortgages when rates skyrocketed. And our rates were in the, you know, teens um, wow. at the time. And so, uh, but we, we came in right when the industry was beginning to grow again. And it was really in that, that time frame, beginning in the early 1980s, that the baby boom generation was hitting its stride for home ownership. And uh, rates went up, began what became a, almost a three decade steady decline from, you know, 18 down to whatever it ended up here at the final stage. And, um, and, and Brad and I hit it really at the perfect time and we were um you know we we had a fun time competing and being friends as loan officers and meeting our wives and having our kids and uh growing up in this industry but we also had really both very uh successful careers uh in the same same industry and ultimately ended up together working on policy stuff in dc in an interesting way so and do either well, and, you have any regrets though Regrets. You know, I don't, I have no regrets about the way we went through mm-hmm. um, our business. It was, it was a fascinating time to be able to watch the progression. And, you know, Dave mentioned getting in at the end of the fixed rate period and a period when adjustable rates first came into being, rates were high. We learned how to sell. Um, you know, you, you, you went from loan officers sitting behind the desk and, and making people beg for money to having to actually learn how to sell, sell features and benefits, overcome objections, uh, um, make sure you knew how to ask for the business, all of the things that hadn't happened in, in the prior generation that still happen today, or at least should happen. You know, Dave's, Dave's been on the uh, on the podium talking often about how people don't do enough sales uh, activity today or don't focus enough on honing their sales skills. And it's a, it's a skill that really developed in the early eighties and, and uh, with the decline in, with the interest rates going up and the decline in the size of the mortgage market, it's becoming more and more important that loan officers go back to those skills again. Yeah. Especially as a, you know, we're in a we're in a commoditized industry here, um, particularly here in 2018, where there isn't a lot of diversity in product type, and mm-hmm. uh, and so you know I've been pushing hard that people need to bring back selling skills, and you know if, if a loan officer cannot figure out how to add value to the transaction today by their own 
you know, personal involvement, then this is nothing more than a financial product you can order online. And so it's, it's a very interesting time transition wise. Uh, Brad and I, our mentor in our industry was the same guy and he was the president of the bank we worked for. And he had come from Xerox. That was his background. He had, he, I mean, his, his job had been a very senior sales manager at Xerox Corporation. And he came in and built a really focused sales culture where we were. And we, we went to a lot of training. Brad and I ultimately became sales trainers ourselves. And we taught, I don't know, hundreds or maybe thousands. I don't know how much it was <laughs> over the years of people how to use skills to, you know, persuade and, uh, and how to manage their time and activities so that they could access uh, key decision makers in, in the real estate transaction. Um, yeah, that's, but it was that's one of the things we, one of the things we talked about often was Dave, should Dave and I you know, open our own sales training uh, uh, company? And we, we ultimately yes, decided sir. the mortgage business was more fun, but, uh, but it was always <laughs> one of those things we, we talked about. <laughs> that's right. Well, you, at, at what point, David, did you feel sort of the calling to enter the public service because, uh, and I, and I consider your role at the MBA very much, you know, very more in the, in the interests of the public eye, you know, you're, you're out there yeah. and you're, you're, you're advocating for mortgage bankers, you know, you're, you're, you're out there and you're, you're, you're serving job as a representative. Um, but also you could tell us a little bit about your past and how you were involved in some government entities as well. And, yeah, uh, that's right. and, and how did, how did you split from that? And, uh, and, and Brad, maybe why did you just stay the course in the lending environment? But let's start with Dave. Well, you know, I, I, things happen by accident. Um, I'd always been active politically. In fact, Brad and I are both, you know, always, we've been close friends our entire lives and, stay very stay very close to sort of the political side of what's happened in our country. I, I had been active in advocating for uh, President Obama's election in 2009, and it was shortly after uh, he got in that I literally received a call out of the blue, unforeseen, that uh, asked me if I'd be interested in coming in to meet and discuss a possible role in the administration. And um, and so, you know, it was uh, I, at that point in my career, I had a lot of success. I'd been a senior executive at Freddie Mac and in other roles and was running a big real estate company at the time. And <clears throat> financially, uh, my wife and I said, you know, this is a time to give back and be part of something that's going to be very unique uh, at, at, in a terrible recession that was uh, we were right in the midst of. And so, um, you know, I agreed to come in and become the federal housing commissioner and go through Senate confirmation and all that stuff and got a chance to work you know, closer to our president than most FHA commissioners do because we were in a housing crunch. And so I got to meet with him frequently and work on pretty big issues that we were dealing with um, TARP funds and all of that kind of thing. And, um, and so I, I got a taste for the political realm. I testified multiple times in front of Congress and had to work with members of Congress. And uh, those couple of years gave me uh, a taste that I really enjoyed. And so when the MBA opportunity came up after I left the administration, it was a sort of a natural fit. I could take my business expertise because um, I knew the industry inside and out and my ability to be effective in Washington and merge them together. And, uh, and likewise, just as it was coming into the administration, it was a great time to come to MBA because they, they needed a, a, a somewhat of a revolution uh, to, to look forward in a different way than they had in the past. And, um, and so again, you know, things happen for a reason, but it, I, I would, I, I would tell you it was anything but planned. Um, but it was, uh, it was, uh, it was definitely a great fit for what I 
what I had, you know, skill set wise coming into the role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, um, and Dave did a phenomenal job in both the FHA and in what I viewed as rescuing the MBA and making it relevant again. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting how, you know, Dave's last comment on you, you just, in some cases, or, or, you know, at least in mine, and I think in Dave's too, we, you just fall into things, uh, you know, an opportunity arises. And if it's interesting, we took it. And, and there was another um, aspect when we were at world savings, uh, that mentor that, uh, that Dave mentioned, um, the, the president, a gentleman named Jim Judd, uh, moved us around a lot for us, for, for Lisa and I, my wife, Lisa and I, we moved from Colorado to the Bay area in California to orange County to New York and back to the Bay area all in the course of about three and a half years early in our career. And the, 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 and multiple jobs in, in each of those locations. And that, um, moving around was part of the developmental process for us to, you know, pay sort of pay your dues and, and get developed. And Dave and Mary, moved from Colorado to New Jersey to the Bay Area to D.C. And um, I don't know where else, Dave, but um, yeah, Connecticut, uh, Connecticut you were in Connecticut for a while. <laughs> and uh, and so all yeah. during this period, we're back and forth. And sometimes we were in the same place and sometimes we were in different places. But um, both of our wives put their foots down at one point. Mine, when we got back to the Bay Area, said we are not moving again. And Dave, when Mary, when they got to DC said, we're not moving again. So, so we, we ultimately ended up and, and by the way, it was really the best decision for our families, for us personally, and, and, you know, worked out for your for our careers. So it, um, you know, for me, it was, um, uh, you know, I, I left world and went to Washington mutual for a few years and then uh, ultimately landed at Wells Fargo. And, uh, Wells Fargo for me was was like working in the major leagues of the mortgage industry. And so I ended up staying 17 years and the company gave me the opportunity to do a lot of different things um, from uh, running the, the sales organization, the loan officer group, um, to uh, starting up a portfolio lending capability for the company and running the home equity business to most recently really doing what I could to help increase home ownership in this country with the tools that we had at Wells Fargo. So, um, and then in that final job was where Dave and I got to work very closely again, because part of my responsibility was uh, housing policy and Dave at the MBA became, it, it was again, a full circle type of thing. that was a lot of fun for both of us. And 17 years, Brad, I mean, that's just a tremendous dedication to the American dream, you know, and that is something that often people aren't credited with is that the, the great people in this industry that I meet, they really want to get people responsibly into home ownership. They, they understand that it's a way for personal wealth building. And that's kind of, like you said, entering the major leagues, that's, you know, that's part of it. But, you know, that said, this industry often does hit scandals from time to time. It, is not without its challenges, especially after the housing crisis, uh, where we saw a lot of sort of um, the practices that potentially, uh, like robo signing, is a great example. Practices that were common that kind of came across as maybe these aren't the best things. So, is there anything about the mortgage industry today that either you find particularly concerning or even alarming, or are there's a direction that you think that we're going or 
Are you, or is everything fine and you're retiring with a clear conscience? You know, we've got this. <laughs> I, uh, go ahead. I mean, I, I, I'll, uh, I'm, I'm deeply concerned about uh, our industry's inability to maintain the kind of discipline that is needed to protect, you know, protect home ownership responsibly and to protect its own reputation. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in many ways to me, as I look at what's happening now with some of the new kinds of products and programs and where some lenders are willing to go, um, you know, it's still very, it's at an infantile stage, but it could grow. And I see glimpses of subprime-like lending again. Um, and I see companies that are desperate to make income, especially in the absence of a refinance market. So there's less volume out there and they'll do lower credit scores or cut corners here and there. And that's how you get into trouble. And the problem is, you know, the whole industry gets tarnished by the one bad apple. And, uh, and in this case, you know, as the great, great recession gets further and further in the rear view mirror and the, the wave of anti-regulation, I guess that we're seeing right now in the current administration, uh, which in some ways can be a good thing, but some ways can allow, the slippery slope to return and, and mm-hmm. bad behaviors to come back. I, I you know, I, I think somewhere there has to be a conscience for the industry and, um, and it, you know, MBAs of the world can play a role. Good companies can play a role. Uh, but we need to make sure we don't lose all the gains in our reputation collectively that we've earned back um, as we go through the next several years of, you know, tough times, which is what it's going to be for a lot of the business. You know, I, I think that's right. And, and, and Jacob, you mentioned that the, um, the fact that there are a lot of good people in this industry mm-hmm. and there are the vast majority, you, you can't be in this industry for the long haul without really caring about helping people become homeowners and, and, and achieve the dream of homeownership. But, you know, if I had a concern, just to augment a little of what Dave said, it's that this really is a period of time when innovation is the, the industry needs to be innovative, needs to find better ways to determine uh, when a borrower is going to be a successful homeowner versus when they're not when getting a mortgage. And the tools that are available to us today, everything from, um, from artificial intelligence that can look at a, a borrower's entire picture and determine which characteristics with you know, are going to be more predictive than the fairly crude approach we use today of credit scores and income as it can be verified on paper. Um, the problem is that, that there are people that will take shortcuts and not find an effective predictive way to lend to borrowers, but find that easy way that, that gives a short-term boost. And so the, 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 the fact is we've got to find a way to regulate the industry without squashing that innovative capability. And uh, I, I don't know that government or industry has quite found that right balance yet. And I, and I agree with you. And, you know, we're speaking generally and industry wide uh, about those issues that are faced. And certainly I, I have to wonder, David, if we'll ever find that discipline as long as we continue in a, in a sales goal oriented uh lending space i mean 
I, I don't know how it can be done from a management perspective because it's up to our leaders to instill that discipline, correct? It's up to your figures, like uh, you mentioned the gentleman at Xerox, uh, you know, in, yeah. instilling in you a lifelong appreciation <clears throat> for responsible lending. But that doesn't yeah. always marry with, you know, sales goals. It doesn't always marry with uh, upping the closings and being the number one in volume in your branch, in your area, in your state, in your nation. So I just wonder if you can, you know, expand a little further on, on how can we maintain a theoretically ideological mortgage lending space without, you know, and I, and I agree every deck of cards has two jokers in it. Right. So, um, (laughs) you know, how, how can we keep the house of cards from falling? You know, it's, it's a great question. And it's one that, you know, I know Brad and I will both be, we'll be leaving our respective roles. We won't become inactive uh, in, in the space. And, you know, I, I, I plan to use my voice to whatever remains after I leave the MBA um, to make, you know, call things out as I see them. It's, it's interesting that the MBA, we've had a, uh, a responsible lending discussion at our board of directors meetings now for the last few board meetings. And, it's very difficult to come up with how you draw the boundaries. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's bad when it's bad, you know, you can see it, you know, you shouldn't be that, that, that kind of product or activity isn't right. But um, you know, financial services companies do get into trouble for any variety of things. And, and, um, and it's, and it's always, a, it's a very technical business, uh, particularly in the mortgage space. And when you start looking at the expansion, particularly in the non-agency area, non-Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, or FHA, uh, and some of these new product creations, and how they're being securitized, and their underwriting guidelines, and and the eagerness of investors to put money behind them because they want yield, uh, and they can get it off of those programs, you begin to see the forces uh, that are really driven by sort of an uncontrolled appetite for profit. And you know, we grew up, Brad and I grew up in a discipline where um, they taught sales because sales helps sell products. And we and Brad and I were very competitive as loan officers, uh, always wanting to be in the top of the company, which we both were. And, and we wanted to be that as managers and more, but you didn't, uh, you, you had boundaries about what you could do. Um, as this, the sales force didn't underwrite the mortgages. Uh, it was the company's discipline that framed in what we could and could not uh, create from a, uh, a loan for a consumer. You know, today, post-recession, we put into place a whole bunch of regulation. And uh, it, it made the industry apoplectic because it was lumpy and difficult to implement. And some of the rules didn't were done in ways that make absolutely no sense. But the theme of good regulation um, I think has to be maintained. I actually worry sometimes when I hear what's coming out of some of the regulators that uh, they want to pull back too far because it just, you know, this is an industry that needs to have walls. And if you can, if you can frame in consumer protection, always with an eye to do what's right for the consumer. And as Brad pointed out, recognizing that the vast majority of participants in this industry want to do the right thing. Um, then, you know, you can end up with an environment where, those that provide the best service have the best, uh, most creative technologies and ways to uh, to make this process more efficient from a transactional standpoint. Um, and it, all in the mode of doing right for the consumer, they're going to win. Uh, those that are out to purely profit seek and take advantage, 
um, will also be there. And so we have to have an eye for creating barriers to entry if we can, mm-hmm. or framing those bad behaviors out. I, I'm not sure you're going to solve this um, without just really diligent oversight. Uh, and that has to be something that uh, sort of a mantra that exists over time. It's not a it's not something you fix and then back away and say, okay, we've got that covered. We're moving on. So I don't know. Brad, what are your thoughts on, on that? Well, I think you're right. The, the, the challenge is with, with the regulatory environment is that, and it's the problem with our politics, is we've, we've become a country of extremes. You're either over-regulating or you're under-regulating in this instance. And, and I fear, like Dave, that we're going to go from over-regulating that's, that's squashing um, uh, innovation and, and driving up costs to under-regulation that allows bad behavior to happen again. And, mm-hmm. and in reality, there, there is a middle ground. Threading that needle is a challenge, um, and it does take a lot of diligence and a lot of focus. And, and Dave's exactly right. You can't just fix it and move on. It's going to have to take someone overseeing the industry that has an understanding of the issues and can effectively regulate things so that uh, we can we can innovate into the future. We can take advantage of the new technologies and tools that are available. We can offer consumers a better experience. We can qualify more people for mortgages that can sustain home ownership uh, without uh, creating all of the, uh, the the risks that the industry has taken on in the past. And it's interesting to hear you gentlemen speak so passionately about your love of. Uh, the American dream. And, uh, and we're definitely going to miss you guys while you're gone. Although something tells me <laughs> you won't disappear completely. Uh, but I, I would like to, uh, to, to touch on a very personal point. Uh, David, you are a cancer survivor. How has that experience changed you, changed your approach, made anything different? And did it hasten you into retirement? Well, it definitely hastened me into retirement. Um, you know, I, I'm still in my 60s, so I'm not sure how many more years I had left. But uh, you know, it, it's cancer is a life-changing event. And Brad, Brad's, you know, and I, of course, are, are very close, and so he's been with mm-hmm. me on this along the way. Uh, he and his wife Lisa. Um, but you know, it's it, it's uh, I have a I have a very difficult cancer, and it and yeah, I, I'm a survivor, but it's uh, I'm not in remission anymore. So I'm as we speak, I'm going through new treatment to keep it to fend it off. I will tell you that, you know, when I first got it, I had two options. One was to do what a lot of people do and just not try not to make it a big public deal. And I knew with my role and speaking on Mm -hmm. stages and uh, I knew my appearance was going to change and other things, I decided to be very vocal about it. Um, And the outpouring from people in our industry who are currently dealing with their various forms of cancer personally or with close uh, relationships in their family it's, it was really overwhelming. I've met several guys who have exactly what I have. They've been fighting it for years. Um, wow. And, and it's allowed me to, you know, I've, I've been very vocal in campaign efforts to raise money. I've raised, you know, $300,000 for Johns Hopkins just in the last few weeks. That's great. From members of our industry who really uh, reached out and participated. But look, as we age, everybody, uh, the likelihood of a man getting the kind of cancer I have, or at least prostate cancer, is extremely high. And um, you know, not enough people get themselves checked and too many people don't talk about it. And I think this is the, you know, the kind of platform where I decided to be very vocal and very aggressive on it. But, 
yeah, it changed, it changed everything. Changed my view about family, about time on this earth, about how you spend your life, um, and definitely hastened my decision to leave the MBA. Excellent. You know, most most people have a, a best friend as well, and for those of you that do, you can relate to the fact that having uh, something like this happen to someone uh, you know as close to me as Dave is uh, was something that was life changing for my wife and I as well. Um, you know, you you can't imagine your life without uh, someone. Uh, that's that close to you in your life. And so I'll, I'll, I'll also say that it hastened my uh, retirement. You know, it, it causes everyone to reassess everyone involved, uh, you know, Dave's family, his wife, uh, uh, my family, you, you just begin to re- reassess your priorities and where you want to spend your time and who you want to spend your time with. And, uh, you know, Dave, <laughs> Dave says he decided to make this public. Dave, I don't know that, there's been anything in your life that you haven't made public, but, um, uh, but in any case, it's, uh, you know, we do intend to, uh, uh, travel together with them quite a bit more and, uh, and spend a lot of time, uh, together. So, uh, uh, and and by the way, continue to work in this housing industry together. So you're right, Jacob, you haven't seen the last of either one of us. Uh, we'll, we'll be around. It just won't be in the daily grind of, uh, corporate life or, or uh, uh, trade association life. Okay. So real quick, um, let's wrap up the conversation. One of many to come, I suspect, but I am curious uh, as we ruminate and reminisce, what would you yourself of today tell that David, you know, that Brad who is out there uh, handing out those flyers, trying to get women to uh, to engage with a what, what's the what piece of advice? I'm glad you finished that sentence, Jacob. <laughs> I was trying to uh, deliver that joke with a somber straight uh, face, but I lost it in the end. You caused me to crack. Uh, uh, but uh, to to end on a high note, yeah. what's the one piece of advice you would give your younger self, Dave? You go first. You know, um, I, I was reading an interesting. Uh, comment by a, a renowned global religious figure who's, who talked about how impatience is, can be a good thing or a bad thing. And, um, you know, I've, in my career, what we had the benefit of starting it under someone who was big on experimentation and elevated those that were most aggressive uh, in, in their efforts to try to be the best at what they did. And, um, and those that would take, you know, reasonable risks. And, uh, and so we did a lot of experimenting in different strategies and protocols and products and uh, techniques and corporate structures and how organizations were run and a variety of things. You know, my advice to anyone starting out is to, um, you know, have an unending appetite uh, to learn and succeed and have an, 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 unyielding work ethic uh, to be the best at what you do. And, uh, and the only third part I would say, if you don't like what you're doing, stop doing it, get out of it. Um, because, you know, I had jobs I hated and so is everybody. Um, I fell into the loan officer world. I loved being a loan officer. I just really enjoyed that job. Brad and I both did and all our, all our peers at the time, but I love to win. And I loved it. I took every opportunity I could to grow, to take that next job, to, uh, learn something new in my in my industry 
And it's how I ended up ultimately at Freddie Mac and running a real estate company and ended up working for a U.S. president. Um, it wasn't that I'm, you know, it was, it was timing, it was opportunity, but it was an unyielding appetite and thirst to learn and do more uh, and work hard. And, you know, today we need, you know, for young people, they need to be focused on being successful for the people they work for, working extremely hard, um, bringing enthusiasm uh, and being the best at what they do. And, and, you know, beyond that, all things should fall into place, I think. Thank you for that. Brad, we, we need something so, to close out as equally as deep. <laughs> let's, uh, let's go here then, because if, I, if I've learned anything over the years, it's, it's this. Relationships matter. Being generous with who you are and what you know to, um, will help not only form those relationships, but will help you. Uh, the, the thing I'm proudest of, uh, about in my career are the people that I've had a chance to invest in to help develop, to watch them succeed. Um, and, and so that idea of being a mentor, being a leader, being someone who is generous with what it is that you know is going to pay off for you in spades. Um, mm -hmm. Karma is real. And uh, the peop I've watched people over my career that hold everything close to the chest, don't want to be generous with what they have and what they know. And they ultimately just hit a ceiling fairly low in their organizations or in any in, in this business. So it's really important for um, and, and I would give this advice to myself uh, 30 years ago. I'd give this advice to anybody starting today. Make sure that um, what you know, what you do, how you do it, uh, give it away because uh, there's there's all you do is multiply the value and the benefit and you will get you will benefit even more by doing so. I agree. That's some great advice, gentlemen. I hope the listeners don't decide to learn things the hard way and disregard the gems of wisdom we've heard today and uh, other things as well. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Jacob Gaffney. I'm the editor-in-chief of Housing Wire. I'm joined with Brad Blackwell, the EVP of Home Lending at Wells Fargo, former EVP of Home Lending at Wells Fargo, and Dave Stevens, the former president and CEO at the Mortgage Bankers Association. Both of those will take some getting used to saying, but uh, there it is. They are both now officially retired and giving interviews to me and only me, if they know what's right. So, gentlemen, <laughs> thank you very much for your time. Uh, speak to you soon. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks, Jacob.